Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jeff. We have an exciting launch that's happening on Thursday, June 11th. Head over to LinkedIn and look up Gain, Grow, Retain. Go ahead and follow the page and we'll have more announcements soon. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. Today, we've got Jane Graham here with us, uh, leader of customer success and renewals at Kronos. Uh, so first, Jane, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time today. You bet. Happy to be here. So uh, as we were just going some of, through some of our notes, obviously the big situation right now around COVID and, and how companies are adapting to the situation, I think there's a couple of different angles um, that we're going to take. But um, let's just maybe start with one angle around, um, I know you put together a presentation you know, for uh, Pulse around kind of importance of P&L, Acumen. Um, so how do you think that's kind of helped right now in this current situation, um, kind of how you've prepared you know, that, that relationship already and, and how are you kind of using that to your advantage just during COVID and, and how your company is kind of preparing that going forward? Yeah, sure. So, so at, at Kronos, I oversee both renewals and customer success as two separate and distinct functions. Um, and so as part of my renewals focus, I'm responsible for the full recurring revenue footprint and forecasting for renewals and churn and, um, and renewal uplifts and things like that. And so the foundational understanding that I have of what comprises our recurring revenue was really, really important when COVID-19 started to really hit the economy because I knew where to go to find the revenue associated with those micro verticals that we knew were, were impacted majorly, could quantify what I thought our exposure was, and could proactively go to our CFO and say, hey, here's my quick back of the napkin analysis of what I think you know might happen to our recurring revenue, or at least which pockets of customers might come to us with a financial hardship asked. Um, does this align with what you think? And if so, can we come up with some at least round numbers of what sort of flexibility we have and what we can absorb as a company so that I can go quickly put together a playbook for my team for when these start to come come across our our emails and, and desks. And so so I think just having that weekly, monthly cadence of forecasting and having to understand my PL gave me a head start on sort of quantifying what I thought our exposure might be when uh, the, the pandemic really started to hit the economy. So Jane, did, did you, I'm curious, did your CFO come to you or did you go to your CFO first? How did that unfold? Well, if he's listening, then uh, he came to me first, you know. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. I, I actually can't remember exactly how it happened. I'm sure I think like over a weekend, a flurry of emails came in from our president CFO. We're all sort of starting to think about it. And, and I had just happened to already put together my own back of the napkin. So shot that over and it sort of started the whole conversation. We're, we're in touch with my CFO and I very, very frequently. So yeah. it can be kind of organic. Totally. Well, and you guys, not, not to steal the stage here, Jeff, but you guys went through like a massive acquisition right at the beginning of all this. So has that impacted things? Yeah, the merger with Ultimate has been really, really interesting, even just to, to do that and try to bring these big organizations together remotely has been sort of a whole nother, you know, topic in and of itself that we can come on and talk about. Yeah. Um, but what's been really nice and interesting is that I do have a, a pretty um, comparable counterpart at Ultimate. And so within the first week of putting our playbook together for Kronos and how we were going to handle these conversations, he and I started getting on a weekly call to compare notes. And it was interesting how similar um, the requests were that we were getting. And we've got a little bit of a different pricing model, but essentially um, over the course of three weeks, we brought our reporting together, brought our teams together. And now we do a weekly call to make sure we're being consistent across both organizations. And so that's been, um, that's been positive, but not, not easy. Yeah, with kind of all the moving yeah. parts going on um, early days of the merger. 
Um, yeah, it's, and I think the point you made earlier too about getting the head start, that's just, we've heard the question a lot over the last couple of weeks from uh, kind of the leadership network that we've been been working with in the sense that um, they're starting to actually go put together forecasts and think about um, some of these things on a deeper basis with their CFOs. And you could already tell it's kind of like they're, you're behind the eight ball already um, when you don't have the initial start, like you mentioned, <clears throat> because then the thing I was going to ask you is um, probably a rhetorical question, but I think probably the biggest thing that you got out of that is just speed to go help drive like the effectiveness at the front line. So you probably, because you cultivated that relationship early, um, you were able to develop a playbook to get some of the criteria about potentially concessions we are willing to make um, during this time and actually get that yeah. into the hands of your CSMs to become more credible during the discussions that they were probably having um, and not having, they didn't necessarily have to have the company line of, oh, let me get back to you. It, it was already kind of like they had that in their hands. You got it. And I think too, I mean, frankly, because I, I'd already built up trust and a, and a cadence with my CFO, we very quickly aligned on how we should approach these requests. And he trusts me in my, my judgment and how I would coach my team on balancing the, the company's financial needs with the reality of what these organizations are going through. And we've got, you know, very large enterprise customers all the way down to SMB customers. And the way you treat, you know, both of those scenarios around solvency and, and their ability to actually make it out of this and who's who is you know, able to take advantage of some of the federal aid versus who isn't um, really plays into all of that. And so if, if, if we didn't already, he didn't already have a trust in my ability to think about the full impact of the P&L and what extended payment terms versus one-time discounts would mean um, for the, this quarter and this year, I think it would have taken us a lot longer to get something put in place and, and deployed to my team. But because we had that cadence already, we were already sort of working with the level of trust and credibility, which helped. Yeah, that makes sense. So we, uh, we work and spend a lot of time talking with customers, companies up and down the spectrum of size and maturity. On the smaller end of the spectrum, we've found that customer success teams are, are becoming more aware of cash flow than they than may, may have been in the past. You guys don't really run at a deficit, right? You're a very mature, very mature company. But I'm curious, has, has it gotten to that point yet where your teams are actually thinking about, okay, who, who's going to be able to make their payments? And like, how is that impacting renewals or is it still at the revenue level? No, it actually is. We're, we're tracking. Um, I've got a, a senior finance person who sits down every Monday. We go through our requests that have come in for financial hardship and requests that my team has granted. And we plot or he, he plots the revenue impact and also the cash flow impact. That goes out daily to our executive committee. So they understand both what are we giving away that, that won't ever materialize back on our P&L and what will just be a timing consideration. And, and we're working hard to, if we're spreading payments out, still get the expected payments in before our fiscal end. So we're very aware of, of the cash implications as well yeah. as revenue. But to your point, um, we're, we don't operate on, on too thin of a, a line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, so for some companies, that is a, the actual, it's an actual life or death issue for them. I would imagine you guys have yeah. more, more cushion than that by now. We do, but then but, you know, um, the conversations I'm having with our customers, I have to understand what their situation is and come up with a package that, that supports our, our scenario, but also takes into account theirs. And it's, it's an interesting balance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, and I was, I, it made me laugh a little bit that you were thinking about that you mentioned thinking about how the federal aid plays into it for your customers. We can't figure out how, how that works for anybody <laughs> right now. But I mean, is there a formula there that you guys have applied? Are you looking at it by industry or are you looking at it by some other factor that helps you 
you think make that determination? Yeah, so, so we are segmented from a business unit perspective on sort of SMB versus enterprise. And so the, the payroll protection you know, component obviously is for a specific size of organization. So that's sort of an easy cutoff to say they're likely to take advantage of the payroll protection. So let's ask them whether they're going to or not. And then this is where a little bit my um, relationship with marketing comes into play. We've got Lisa Pratt, who I think you guys work with every now and then. I think she's on your advisory board. Yep. Um, she's our, our VP of customer experience marketing. And she works directly with my organization in, in times unlike COVID to put together you know, specific messaging and packages and value propositions, specifically not for bookings, but for customer retention and, and customer experience. And her team has really stepped up in this interesting sort of um, time to package up things that Kronos is doing to help our customers make more sense of things like the federal aid packages, to help our customers consume free services and free product configurations that we've put together on our own dime to support their you know, meeting these new challenges, like putting in new pay codes associated with quarantine or new furlough pay calculations associated with the federal, federal aid. Um, and so having the marketing team call this information and package it up and make it available publicly has been a really good tool for my team to use while we have tough conversations about financial hardship concessions, we can pair that up with real tangible things that Kronos is doing to help them on a day-to-day -day basis interpret these federal packages and, and, um, and get through the day-to-day -day with their employees. Um, and so it makes it a real partnership conversation versus just a negotiation on cash payments. Totally. That's fantastic. And I think a lot of people might find it a little foreign to hear that marketing has people focused on customers and not just new business development or, you know, demand gen and brand building. But I wonder if you could maybe elaborate on that a little bit, because that's a very cool concept. And yes, Lisa is on our, on our board of advisors. We are huge Lisa Pratt fans. <laughs> yeah. Here. Yeah. I'm spoiled for sure. And in, in my sort of travels to different industry events and, and speaking with peers, a lot of them don't have direct access to marketing resources and they have to forge those relationships sort of informally and, and ask for, for favors from, from marketing professionals who are measured on bookings. But most of them, I, I think you work sometimes with Lauren Colbertson of, of Loop VOC. Um, back in the day, she was in product marketing. I was running a, a customer retention um, organization at a, a previous company that we both worked for. And I just benefited from having a close relationship with her. And so she did things kind of outside of the scope of her core responsibilities to support my efforts in customer retention. Um, but could never really figure out, you know, how to fund and marketing a team focused just solely on, on the customer experience. But I'm tripping over some organizations that are maturing enough in this area that they understand protecting recurring revenue is just as big of a sort of marketing lift and, and just as important to the bottom line as is supporting new bookings and all of the rhythms that you have to go through on, on that front. So um, um, Definitely a, a spoiled in that in that way, having a, a team of professionals in marketing solely dedicated to the efforts of customer experience and customer retention. Yeah, we we talk about subscription businesses are a team sport. It actually doesn't work as well unless every function in the organization is focused on it in some way, shape, or form. Right. So I love that. Yeah, and it's amazing how much you know, you can repurpose. It's not like it's all totally. mutually exclusive content. A lot of it you can just package in a different way and apply it um, to both sides. So Yeah, well, if you're talking about your customer's problems, you're automatically talking about the market problems, right? Whatever that content happens yeah. to be. So we're, we're 
big believers in this whole idea of content to, to drive retention and that whole marketing touch. Anyway, go ahead, Jeff. I'm, I'm hogging the mic. No, you're good. Uh, one of the things that I think is interesting and uh, would be curious about, you mentioned obviously marketing, helping um, kind of put together these packages that you guys can kind of leverage. Um, and you mentioned obviously having a playbook kind of put together for your team to go enact. So how do you, when you think about putting together a playbook for your team, you know, what are some of the core thoughts that come to your mind? Like how do you create enough, uh, enough guidelines and enough kind of uh, guardrails that you feel like, Hey, we're all using the same process, but at the same time, giving your team kind of the freedom to use their mind, think on their feet, kind of use their own flexibility in those situations. How do you balance those two when you, when you think about putting a playbook together? Yeah, that's a good question. I'll say too, if, if I showed you my playbook, you would know it's more, um, function over form. So it's, it's not pretty, it's an Excel and, um, you know, it's, it doesn't have any pretty graphics or anything, but, but for COVID-19, you know, we put it together under a little bit of duress and sort of urgency, but, um, we definitely broke it down by vertical. We definitely put together, here are the four things that you need to go research, see if they're on monthly billing or annual billing. Number one, are they over or under 300 K ARR? If they're over anything you put together, it has to go by the leadership team before you know, we approve it. Um, so we had you know, four questions that they needed to answer. And then there was basically just a grid that said um, annual and advanced payments aren't going to have a renewal or a bill coming up before January. Here's your in an impacted industry. Here's your play. Not impacted industry. Here's your yeah. play. Um, monthly billing. We've got less leverage. So here's what we think you can do to sort of mitigate this. So we didn't put every single scenario in place, but we basically picked the three or four sort of matrix scenarios that here's your list of impacted industries go forth and prosper. And then we have a weekly call just to say, what are you hearing? Is this working? Are there new scenarios coming up that you need help addressing? That's brilliant. Are you finding that there are companies, like sometimes we get the sense that these CFO groups are getting together and talking about like now being a really good time to go back to all your vendors and try to renegotiate your contracts. Are you seeing a little bit of that happening as well? Yes. Well, in fact, it's funny. I mean, you, you'll get the same form letter, but on different letterhead from, you know, three of the same organizations wow. in this region. So there's even, yeah, you know. That's a more coordinated attack than I even envisioned. Yeah, a little, little cottage industry of some of these, you know, and, and then there's also just the kind of opportunistic procurement play. And so we do yeah. have in our playbook, it's one of our questions. Does this look like something that they just sent out to all the vendors and it doesn't have anything specific to Kronos or when your bill comes through or was it something more thoughtful? and just be aware, be aware of that. But I actually meet monthly with our procurement lead to share interesting procurement plays that my team is seeing on the renewal side. And I give those to her and then she gives to me some of the things that they're doing in procurement to our, our vendors um, to try to you know, facilitate better terms for, for Kronos. Um, and so I've been, we've been in really close contact with all of this as, uh, as I've seen some of those interesting plays come around from, from procurement. That is smart. Like, Get the gate, get the playbook from the procurement person on your side, so you know what you're up against. Yeah, we share our black magic every every couple months. Yeah, that's that's really smart. I love it. How um, earlier I thought it was interesting too. You mentioned, you know, the marketing team putting together these packages, thinking about how potentially like uh, PPP plays into some of these businesses. So, I guess when you're thinking about the customer success lens and, and maybe what you know this marketing team, customer marketing team is is helping you with, are you guys also looking kind of outside your own product to try and help? help your companies also even just look at the industry as a whole or look at their practice, you know, and say, Hey, here are things even that might not even have to do with our system, but it's going to make you more successful as a customer. Yeah, we are. In fact, an example, we ran a webinar for retail, brick and mortar retail organizations and the 
retail leader of the customer success team on, on my side emceed the event, but we had professional services um, and other folks within Kronos that are specific to the retail industry hosting the conversation, but it was sort of half Kronos talking about how our products can help you through this and half allowing other retail organizations to talk to each other about how they're managing through this that seems specific to retail. So we're trying to find opportunities to bring organizations together to have those conversations. Um, and then we're also doing some really interesting things like our engineering team just this week released a contact tracing toolkit within our, our products. So our products are workforce management, which is like we schedule nurses for you know all the floors in the, in the hospital and we've got clocks on the wall where you punch in and punch out. And so we theoretically have a pretty good way of tracing when were you scheduled to work, which doors did you punch in and punch out of, and who else could you potentially come in contact with that had the same shift and work on the same floor. And so we're, we're building some of these things in our, in our products sort of real time and then deploying them for free to our customers so that they can do interesting things with our product that they would probably just be trying to do through brute force on their own, um, but that are sort of addressing a new challenge in the industry. So kind of on all fronts, but, but like I said before, Lisa's really been the central conduit through which all of these initiatives go and we package them up and just make sure as many people are aware of them as possible through a weekly sort of COVID-19 digest that goes out to our customers. How are, you, how are you doing the community piece? You mentioned getting different groups together that look a little bit alike. Has that been a formal thing or an informal thing for you guys? How, how's that being facilitated? trying to make it more formal but i think in some cases like i just i just kind of stumbled across a, a healthcare partner of ours who had pulled together chronos customers through his network and invited chronos to come and participate in that conversation so i think it's happening even oh, interesting. even in a more broader ecosystem to chronos but but we're certainly putting together industry specific events and um and communicating those through our community and through email campaigns uh and, and trying to do it that way more formally does Lisa's team or the marketing group, do they own that community? They do. In air quotes? They okay. do. She's got a, a senior resource and I think one or two other people that supports all of the, the community conversations. Very cool. Yeah, we're, we've been doing a lot of thinking about community ourselves, just for the CS community, but also for our customers, because it's such a powerful way to drive engagement with your brand without you having to be in the middle of every conversation. So. You know, I would be interested, I should ask Lisa, or you should ask Lisa, I, I'm getting the feeling that this crisis has actually elevated the community space, and we're driving even more of our internal constituents to that COVID-19 page, because it's really the place where you would go to get everything that Kronos is doing. It's just, it's easy. It's easier than trying to go ask 10 people throughout Kronos, and so I think it's making it more visible, and so I wouldn't be surprised if coming out of this kind of get the bump in participation, both internally and externally, just because it's played such a pivotal role during this pandemic. Yeah. And it, it, uh, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if it lasts, probably not at the same level, but certainly it will change, right? I mean, people are looking for engagement in different ways, especially since we're all stuck in our houses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it also drove more people that wouldn't have ever signed up for the community, just it's on their priority list. All of a sudden, this is the easiest way to get relevant real-time information about something that I have no tools to deal with sort of baked in and now they're in the community and so you yeah. hope that a percentage of them would just stay committed and, and stay in a kind of participatory state so yeah yeah we've been talking a lot to our customers who have you know quote unquote the long tail um, about trying to you know look at community as a way instead of you know the age-old question is like how can I 
cost effectively handle, you know, the long tail of my customers um, in a way where, you know, we're going to have potentially multiple hundreds of customers per CSM or per resource that we have. And so how do they do that? And so we've talked a lot recently just about community and trying to, um, you know, think of different ways, just like you mentioned, potentially having kind of those discussions by industry, spinning up an actual online community, um, looking at how your blog and other kind of online tools can become part of that whole kind of sphere um, and making that experience just as enjoyable as it can be at the kind of that lower end of the segment. Um, but the community aspect, I think, has been something we feel like is underutilized um, by oh, a lot of our, our clients. Surprise. Yeah. You know, you have to, because you also have to have the resource to do it. You have to have somebody who kind of spends time cultivating the community, the questions, the discussion that happens in an online community. And so I think, um, to your point, I think what we're hearing at least is a shift in the dialogue that people could be making, could be willing to make a, an investment into kind of a resource for their communities um, throughout this experience because it's kind of driven such a large number of clients to look for that type of engagement. Yeah, you're in a much you know, easier, better position to disseminate important information more quickly. I can't imagine if Lisa didn't have a team that was already dedicated to cultivating this community and already had processes and everything down. It's sort of similar to the velocity that I enjoyed with getting a playbook together with my CFO because we had already cultivated a relationship and a rhythm before that, you know, might as well do it now because this might not be the last time that we've got sort of a, a crisis that we have to deal with and what better way than, than a community to sort of leverage uh, real-time information sharing, not only sort of one directionally, but um, bi-directionally and across customers. Awesome. Great. So Jane, we'll go ahead and wrap up, but uh, you know, you're in one of the most, probably the most complex situations, right? You've got large company in Kronos. You guys just joined forces with ultimate. You're handling this situation. If you could look back over the last four to six weeks, like what's the one thing that you did, like the one big takeaway that you would say, Hey, if, if everybody just did this one thing, like you could probably stop there and it would tackle 90% of the problems that you, or the, you know, the challenges that you've got with, with COVID, what, what would be the thing that you look back on and said, this is the, this was the pivotal moment for us. Yeah. I'd say just put, put kind of your, your top three approaches in place for addressing financial hardship requests, get it blessed by your CFO and then put some sort of, even if it's like rudimentary, some sort of reporting in place that you surface it up to whoever that financial constituent is weekly to, to continue to share the conversation. Just don't make it a black hole and don't make it a bespoke conversation every time yeah. a customer raises their hand and says, I need some help. Um, you get way better results by saying, hey, customer A, B, C, we're getting hundreds of these requests. As you can imagine, we're trying to balance you know, our needs and, and make sure we're flexible with yours. Here's how we can handle your situation. Just make it clean and not you know, every single one has to be negotiations. So you don't have to solve for every single one, but just pick the three or four scenarios that seem to be coming up the most, put a blessed approach in place and then share what's happening to your finance team on a regular basis. Those are three things, I guess, but I'll call it <laughs> one. Perfect. They all hang together. <laughs> well, this has been great. Thank you for taking the time to do it. I know you must be very, very busy. So we have oh, time and participation. No problem. You bet. It's good to, good to talk with you guys. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. <laughs>